Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, February the 9th, 2022. This is episode 3034 of the Survival Podcast. And today's episode is called Understanding NFTs with Wavehead. Who's Wavehead? Well, I don't know if Wavehead wants to give away his proper name. So I'm not going to until we get into the interview. If he decides to do that, that's up to him. But he's known as Wavehead on all of the social media sites that he's on uh, from the TSP community. We're going to be talking about NFTs. We'll also talk about DeFi and crypto today, but I really have him coming on to talk about NFTs. Now, while he's in a lot of the social media uh, TSP communities, the two places he's most active are Discord and Telegram, and he's most active on Discord. And he has been an incredible help to people uh, across the board on all our social media, media communities with understanding cryptocurrency and getting started, whether it's uh, setting up a way to buy, whether it is getting involved in mining, NFTs, you name it. And personally, uh, there are there are people probably that know a lot more about NFTs than me and Wavehead put together, right? But of people I actually know, he knows more about NFTs than anybody else. So there might be some expert out there out, out there somewhere, but within our community, he is the expert. So he's joining a very small group of people today. People specifically invited on as a guest. You know, that would be like Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, Paul Wheaton's first appearance, he, he was he was uh, invited on. Uh, Gary Collins, his first appearance, he was invited invited on. So there's not been a lot of people that have been I've reached out to and recruited to be on the air. Oh, announcement though, coming up on the 21st, so we'll be out of the uh, Anarchapoca watch party. Guess who else is joining that list? Adam Curry, the Podfather, is coming on one of the longest running podcasts simultaneous with his, uh, the Survival Podcast. He'll be here with us. Uh, to talk about how podcasting makes a difference uh, and a lot of tech that he's working on either directly or indirectly to aid podcasters in doing more and to fight things like censorship and how uh, the powers that be get in the way with us being paid. And that will have a lot to do with crypto too. So that just kind of made me think of it. I was given that list. So that's a pretty freaking brilliant list to be on, people that were invited on the air. There's not a lot of them. Uh, I, would, I can't think of them all off the top of my head, but there's, you know, in 3,000 episodes... There's there's probably less than 10, and there's definitely less than 20. So that tells you what I think of Wavehead. I think we're going to have a great discussion here today. Uh, if you were if you end up being part of the live feed, we'll be taking, I'm sure, lots of questions. Probably a lot of people don't have questions until they hear this. So if we get done with this episode and create some more questions, and if Wavehead's open to it, I will bring him back on again to, uh, to, to kind of close the loop on what this may stir up. Because I think a lot of times... NFT and DeFi specifically, which is decentralized finance, people don't know what to ask because they don't understand what can be done. Uh, you think an NFT is nothing but some stupid thing to sell a picture of a stupid monkey. I promise you, we'll, we'll, we might talk about that a little bit today because it helps you understand the technology. And when you understand the technology, you understand that's why what's being done with it right now is being done. But I am way more interested in real-world use cases for NFTs and how that blends with decentralized finance, how an entrepreneur 
can obtain financing by pre-selling part of his inventory before it even exists to build out the business and then profit share with his early investors without going through all the FDIC shit. How about that? That would be one use case scenario. But I have some real questions, and some of it will even seem a little bit critical to NFTs today. One I'm going to ask, and I, I don't know what answer I'm going to get. That's why we're going to have this discussion, right? What prevents me from NFTing a thing, whether it's a JPEG, whether it's a, a, a classic car, whether it's a share in my business, and then going over to another chain and NFTing it on another chain and selling the same and double selling? Crypto solved the double spend problem and prevents uh, counterfeiting. But if we're creating a token for a thing, how do, I don't know. And we'll see how that can be done. There's more work that needs to be done there. How that works, we'll find out about that and a lot more in just a moment. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Here's the thing that you could do that would be cool. You could go to knifekits.com and pick out a frame and some handle material and maybe get uh, a DVD or video download or a book or something like that for the parts that you don't know exactly what to do yet for yourself or just look stuff up on YouTube. There's plenty of tutorials there and make a knife for yourself. You know what else you could do? You could do this with your kids or your nephews or your grandchildren and pick one out and build a family heirloom because your first knife compared to like your fifth knife will suck. I guarantee you, Patrick Rohrman told me his first knives sucked, right? And then he started making better and better knives. But you know what? It will always be your first, kind of like your first kiss. Now imagine if your kiddo or your grandkid or your nephew or niece's first knife they ever owned was one you made with them. How long do you think they'll keep that? Yeah, they won't be NFTing that one now, will they? Wait a minute. I got a thing. I got a thing. I'm going to let it go for right now because we're in the sponsor segment. Anyway, with that, let's go on and recognize our second sponsor of the day, the Free State Project. I have been an advocate of the Free State Project since I first learned about them. I launched the show in 2008. By 2009, I was in direct communications with F FSP and been told all about it and been asked to consider speaking at one of their future events. I've spoken at their Liberty Forum three times. I've keynoted twice for them. I've given them you know, free advertising for a couple of years in the past. They're now a paid sponsor. Uh, that tells you how much I believe in what they do. And this is why I am such an advocate of the Free State Project, even though I personally will not likely ever relocate to New Hampshire. Liberty anywhere is good for liberty everywhere. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that when people around the world that live in far more oppressive regimes than we do protest for liberty, one of the things you see so commonly is the American flag? Did you see Chinese protesters? In Hong Kong, flying the American flag. Why? Because liberty anywhere inspires liberty everywhere. That's what FSP is all about, bringing as many liberty-oriented people as they can to New Hampshire and dragging it against its will if necessary, kicking and screaming into the world of liberty. And you can learn more about it without having to make an immediate decision. How about you take a vacation to New Hampshire? It's one of, one of the most beautiful places in the world. I honest to God almost moved there many, many years ago when I first got out of the Army. Um, but I had uh, I had a relationship down here in Texas with a friend who had given me an opportunity, and I came here and I never left. Had that not been in place, I probably would be living there today. It is an amazingly beautiful place. Take a vacation and get to know some people while you're there and get some advice on where to go and what to do so you're not just doing the standard tourist experience. You want to know more about that? FSP.org is the main website. Add forward slash visit, visit and H to it, and you can learn all about that program. With that, let's deep dive into 
NFTs, crypto, DeFi, and whatever else comes up with Wavehead from Discord and TSP Telegram. And we are live with uh, today's episode of the Survival Podcast, and uh, we are fortunate to have a longtime community member with us that we will just call Wavehead today, uh, very well known in uh, our social media communities. Um, but especially on Discord and Telegram in, in uh, regards to helping people out with cryptocurrency, mining NFTs, all kinds of questions, setting up lightning nodes. Uh, you've just been awesome, man. So, hey, I appreciate you coming on the show today. I said during my intro, you uh, you have joined a very small cadre of people who have been on the show by request. Most people ask to come on. Uh, occasionally, I go out and, and recruit somebody. So uh, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Hopefully I can, uh, share some more knowledge. So let's, um, roll back a little bit before we, we, we plow in NFTs. And how long ago did you get involved with crypto as a thing? And what drew you into it? What's kept you in it? Cause I know it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, Bitcoin 2010. Um, I was just, I'm a self proclaimed nerd, I guess. Um, found out about it through a coworker actually who had, had been in it. Um, and I started mining in 2010. Um, and it's been a part of my life on and off ever since then. Um, you know, so Bitcoin 2010, you had the bull cycle of 2011. Um, and back then I really liked the idea of the alternate currency, right? It wasn't, I didn't have that thought of, Oh, I can hold this for 10 years and be a millionaire. You know, I actually used it. Um, so I would mine it, I would use it, um, buy a little bit, just use it for kind of its intended purpose at the time. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been in this space for now, I guess, 11, 12 years. Lost your audio. You hear me now? Yep. Okay. So let's, um, Let's dig into uh, NFTs uh, for folks, yeah. and most people here probably have a basic understanding of what they are that are tuning in on the live stream, but I'm sure a lot of people will be listening that have no idea. Um, so what is an NFT at the most basic level? Yeah, um, NFT at the most basic level, let's start with the name. stands for non-fungible token. Um, and when you go beyond that, I mean, really, the I think the best way to look at it is an NFT is digital ownership, um, and that can be digital ownership of a variety of things, but that's what it boils down to. So a lot of what we see right now is like digital ownership of a digital picture that anybody can make a copy of, right? Yeah. And that's taken off like crazy, and I think it's because people are making money on it. I also think, personally, because there's quite a few different ways that you can kind of scam the system with that. Like, I can roll out an NFT JPEG if I have a million dollars worth of Ethereum. I can buy it from myself, and now it has a yeah. perceived value, and I can drop it back into a marketplace and say, hey, I need some money now, right? So I'm willing to take a yeah. loss on it. No matter what I'm paid, I'm I'm ahead. It's almost like covering my gas fees, right? So, like... Yeah. It, another thing that I've been really concerned about, and this is like my biggest question about NFTs, and it's not just about the JPEGs and stuff. It's about anything. Let's say that I, I created an NFT for a thing, no matter what it was, and that 
provides ownership of a thing. And I either sell the whole thing or I fractionalize and it doesn't really matter. And I, I do that on the, uh, the, the Ethereum blockchain. I, I, that's where I, I, I mint my NFT. There's other chains that I can mint NFTs on, right? Like I don't have to do it on, on ERC 20. And so what prevents me from NFTing the same item multiple times and then basically ripping people off? Is there any safeguard against that whatsoever? No. So, I mean, you could certainly take the art and, um, create the NFT on the Ethereum blockchain and then release that same collection onto, you know, Solana, Algorand, uh, Avalanche. I mean, all the different blockchains that exist, right? That, that support NFTs. You could certainly do that. Now, um, you're diluting the value of your work at that time. And it just depends on your goal, right? Maybe that's your intention from the beginning. And so it's okay. And some people will buy it on Ethereum because they're Ethereum maxis. Some people will buy it on Solana because, you know, they only use Solana. Um, but it's all about your intent behind it. And, and you're right. I mean, there's definitely a lot of scams out there because it can be pretty easy money if you can build up the hype and then you launch a project and maybe you intend to do something with it. Maybe you don't. Um, but you're getting your payday pretty much up front. Um, so I got you, but so that actually with especially electronic goods then opens up a legitimate way that you could do that. So for instance, an author might release um, a limited edition um, of his books and maybe that sells out and maybe he re- releases like a second limited edition. So you could have like the, you could have the, 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 Solana version and the Ethereum version, as long as that was disclosed, I guess it really wouldn't be a problem. I, I'm more concerned with the fact that that could be hidden, right? Like, you, yeah. can create, you know, basic. And it, it doesn't really see. First of all, I don't I'm not know that I care that much about it being a JPEG because I think that is going to flush itself down the toilet eventually anyway. Yeah. But if we get into something like I find far more exciting, right? Like, so I would love to own a 67 Fastback Mustang. I really would. If I, if I was a billionaire, I'd have a Jay Leno style garage and I guarantee you there'd be a 67 fastback in there with it. And I will, I'll probably never own one. Cause even if I have the money to buy one, I, I'm just not going to put that much money into a car. It's just not me. I'll never own a Lambo or a Ferrari or anything like that. Unless it's a matchbox car. But I would, I would actually be interested if somebody, um, if somebody went and, and acquired one. And said, I'm going to fractionalize it into a hundred NFTs and you can have fractional ownership and an actual 67 Mustang. And part of that can, can, you know, had the fees for maintaining it and keeping it, you know, in a garage. And then if the car was ever sold, we all took whatever profit or loss we had back through our NFTs. That would be very intriguing to me, but that seems like it could really be a scam, right? Because that then we could like sell the same 67 Mustang or how do we even prove there is a 67 Mustang? You know what I mean? So like, yeah. like I think we're going to have to have some more maturity in the market for a lot of the real use cases to eventually work out. Because until you have that assurance, I'd rather just do an old school contract and we have the title of the car and the title of the car is held in escrow or something like that. Yeah. And I mean, essentially, you you could do that via smart contracts. And that's all an NFT is. You know, it exists because of a smart contract. Um, so. If you had a digitized title, that's then 
exists in a smart contract or as an NFT, um, that could be done. But yeah, I mean, it's certainly, uh, there needs to be maturity. I mean, right now in this space, it's rather skeuomorphic. You know, it's, it's art. Um, the JPEG now, there's more to an NFT than, than the JPEG, but, um, I think as humans, that visual representation that a JPEG offers, um, is, is helpful to understand. Um, you know, I like to equate it as, uh, yeah, you can right click and save the JPEG. Um, but it's sort of like an album cover, right? You can take the album cover from a CD, but just because you have the album cover, can you play the music? Well, you can't. And having that NFT that is verifiably yours could, in some cases it does, but could in the future grant you access to certain privileges, um, depending on the project. And, you know, so what I have behind me here, this is an NFT. Um, there's a, a website or a company called Artblocks. Um, and they do releases, but, you know, so anyone can right click save that, but it is verifiably mine, you know, and if you right click save it, good luck selling it if you want to. Um, whereas, you know, I, I have a marketplace for the one that I actually own. Okay. You know, and I think that, I guess my reason for being so hard on the, the JPEG market is if, if it's an artist who up until this point has been able to market their art, I get it. Right. Yeah. But it's like I see these things just being churned out, churned out, churned out. And and some of it you look at and go like once you had the base of the ape, you could just have a computer generate yeah. 20 different new ones or whatever. And if I put that image up and said it's free, take it. No one would take it. If I put it up and said, you you know, like put some kind of like stamp on it like they do with stock photos. Right. Stock yeah. photos might actually be a really cool thing to bring into this, by the way. Um, but a lot of times, like if you go to. uh I can't even think of the name of that, but all the sites that sell stock photos. You can view all the images. You can save all the images. If they didn't let you save it, you could screen capture it, right? And you could use yeah. it on a website, but it'll have, you know, you know, whatever the name is watermarked across it. And when you buy it, the watermark goes away, right? So like those types of things that people were already buying because they saw value in them. Uh, if you have a graphic artist who gets paid really well to develop you know, corporate pieces or something like that would make sense to me. But it seems like now people are buying things just because, just because it, it reminds, what it reminds me of and it scares me. And I hope that we survive the other side of it is the, the, the 2017, 2018 stupidity when the yeah. altcoin eruption came and there was like an altcoin for everything. We're going to have an electro coin so that the electric companies can build with electro coin and, you know, pot coin. And there was like 75 different pot, you know, pot can of coin, whatever, porn coin. And, and eventually all of that stuff washed out. But we ended up with a really, I think, a stronger Bitcoin market, a stronger kind of the you know, number two Ethereum market and a stronger altcoin market. We, I think it's kind of starting up again. We have a lot of alts maybe that we don't need, but there's a, most of the, the alts that are in the, like the top hundred right now, like you can, when somebody says, what do, what does this do that's unique? You have an answer. I don't know yeah, that right. it's an answer that's a great answer, but you have an answer where, yeah, they do you know, something. I'm wondering how the, 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 the JPEG thing might work out if, if it actually is marketing things that are in demand and you actually know who the artist is and that artist does have the ability to sell their art independent of an NFT. Now you're adding, the NFT to the market. Cause like what got me excited about this? Cause I thought it was just stupid, you know, and I, I, it takes time to win me over to something new. I'm always skeptical. Yeah. And when I saw like what Algo Ram was doing with liquid vineyards, where mm -hmm. the vineyard was able to sell you the rights to a vine or a group of vines 
for anywhere between three and 30 years, and you were entitled to all the wine that came off those specific vines, I'm like, you know, I'll admit it, I'm a foodie. I'm a kind of a wine and food snob. I have friends mm -hmm. that when I told them about that, they're like, I'm in. Like immediately, yeah. they didn't even care. They were like, no, that is freaking awesome because they want to have their friends come over and then they want to pour this bottle of Cabernet and say that came from my wine in Napa or wherever mm -hmm. it came from. And so that to me is actually really exciting. But I can see this working with art, with music, as long as the actual product is in demand independent of the NFT. Because then, then we're, we're grabbing that ownership like my classic car, right? That wouldn't just be an ego thing. I would literally own... 1% of a 67 fastback. Yeah. You know, and you can go look at it. You can go see it. It's actually there. And if there was no NFT on that car, it still trades in an auto auction or something. Yeah. Um, and that, that goes back to, you know, it's early days, uh, for NFTs. They've been around a while, but I guess from a popularity standpoint, it's, it's rather early days. Um, and I think they really took off with, um, the launch of Top Shot, which I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but essentially um, it's we could think of it as NBA uh, trading cards, but it was okay. more moments. It was video clips and moments from different games. Mm -hmm. um, and so that brought in a whole different group of people that probably aren't into crypto, but mm -hmm. they're into the NBA or they're into collectibles in general. Yeah. Um, and so NFTs have done an incredible job at the moment opening up um, the space and bringing in new people that probably never would have touched Bitcoin um, or any other crypto until they could relate to it in this way. Um, and so now you have tops, they release baseball cards on the blockchain as NFTs and, and all of those collectibles are, are um, turning into NFTs Um now, is there the and ability I guess if you to limit the quantity? Then it's, you know, it's yeah. and it doesn't degrade. So that's going to that's going to increase the quantity of mint condition in the collector market. Right. But right. you still have a fixed quantity, which is what made trading cards valuable in the first place. And the other thing is you actually know the sequence. Yeah. So and you like, can't if, you're not going to counterfeit it. Yeah. If I had a Pete Rose rookie card today, it's not worth what it would have been had he not got himself kicked out of the Hall of Fame for gambling, but it would have a yep. certain amount of value. But if I could prove I had the first Pete Rose rookie card that came yep. off the printing press at tops, it would have more value. No one can prove that because they didn't do that back then. Right. And exactly. the reason, but I mean, the other side of that with the collector's market is the reason baseball cards were worth so much money is how many kids put them in their bike spokes. Yeah. Right. So like when something like the rule in collectors is when somebody calls something a collector's item out of the gate, probably <laughs> buy it. You want to buy the thing that people don't say, yeah. but this makes things saving, saving them infinite. But you've just opened my, my brain here. And, and honestly, the top shot thing I did know about it, didn't know the name of it. It's how my son ended up with Bitcoin. He bought yeah. like when they released it, you could buy like a pack and you didn't know what you're going to get. Yeah. And he bought it for like a hundred bucks and I think he has the rest of them and they're all. Freaking worthless, just like a pack of baseball cards. But he had one that he immediately sold for $3,800. And he's like, I'm going to do this with the money. I'm like, I'm like, no, you're not. Go buy yeah. $3,800 worth of Bitcoin. Store your private keys away. And I don't know if he did, but that's what I told him to do with it. But it was his first intro to crypto. But what you opened me up to right there is the videos and the moments. Now, that actually has a value. Right. If I think like as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan way back to the 70s and Franco Harris is immaculate reception. And now I think to myself, how many times 
has that clip played on network television and cable television yeah. since 1970, what is it, 77 or whatever it was. I've look at my plaques up on the wall here to see when that, what yeah. that game was, right? So if, if the NBA was basically saying you have rights to a portion of the royalties from this moment whenever it's used and a royalty needs to be paid on it. Now we've actually taken the whole sports collectibles or anything like movies. Like how many movies have like that one scene that gets used yeah. over and over by NBC or, or whoever, and they have to pay a royalty just, or music. You know, uh, that's how all the artists make their money. So music was very exciting to me too. If you could smart contract in and I have the rights to the next superstars freaking music royalties, a portion of them in perpetuity or for 20 years or whatever. Now there's value there and it is a digital good. It doesn't have to be a physical good for this to work. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're seeing a lot of, um, musicians releasing NFTs and some of them will have that utility. Some of them won't, you know, it'll just be like custom music that's only available, um, via the NFT. Now you can get the audio, but you can, you know, own it. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's, it's really allowing people to one, be a patron of the arts. So you can support an artist that maybe you like their art and they've never been able to sell it or, you know, it's just opening up a whole new marketplace. And now you can even become a, a famous artist without having to go through the different auction houses like Christie's or Sotheby's, you know, I like um, that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you get your, your, uh, you know, you, everything has a royalty on it and you can get every sale 2%, 5%, whatever you set that at. Um, now they're, they're optional and they're marketplace dependent at the moment. Um, so there's nothing that would stop me from selling you this NFT behind me over the counter and skipping the marketplace, right? Other than trust, like we have to trust yeah. each other or we could escrow it and I skip the 5% fee that I would pay for selling it on a marketplace. But um, then, you, you you know, adding that additional layer of difficulty means most people don't do that. Um, but, yeah, it really allows artists um, who, you know, that's what they're called to do, um, make money if they can, can promote their art and people like it. Um, so it's really opened up a whole new economy um, beyond just, you know, regular crypto. And I think there's a lot of other uses for it. I'm struggling right now with the concept of rolling out an NFT for lifetime uh, membership in my members brigade. And, and part of it is because if I, if I give an analogy to a home, my house built in the seventies in the middle of the great recession of the seventies and stagflation. I mean, every shortcut there is was taken and it's on a rock slab. So digging deep holes is hard. If I wanted to take this house off grid and I wanted to do all the sustainable stuff and wanted to run my water into filtration and, uh, you know, like gravel filtration beds and everything. And I looked at the cost of doing it. I would, I would almost be to the point where, you know, what it would make sense to do is get a great big can of gasoline and a match and let the fire department know not to come and burn the house to the ground and rebuild it. Well, I have an existing membership program built on software. Uh, it is updated, you know, frequently by the vendor. Um, but it really is not made to be compatible with NFTs. If Wavehead was a lifetime member and you decided you wanted to sell your membership to Tom and Tom wanted to buy it, you could buy it. But then you would have to have like 
your credentials go along with it somehow and have it communicate back to the member site. Right. And, you know, like I would have to basically re-engineer the entire interface to make that happen. So I, I'm wondering how many places this is limited because people have this existing market. So I think that's where it's best. You already have a market. You already have people that pay for a thing. So you've already established the thing itself has value and it's in limited supply. I'm not ever going to say anybody anytime they want to can buy a lifetime membership. I'm not going to do that because it will right. devalue the product. Mm -hmm. So it already is a limited supply. I sell it when I want to, et cetera. And it does have a transferable value. I'm sure there's some old lifetime members out there who are like, yeah, you know, I found something else to do. I listen to Joe Rogan now or whatever. Uh, and I, you know, I don't really use the discounts or whatever. And there's people that ask me, you know, on a weekly basis, can I get one? No. And that's what he's saying. You can't get one. Yeah. So I, there would be a market there. B back a long time ago when Patrick Rohrman launched his knife program and we had like founders positions that could have, that would have been perfect. Like collectible knives. That would have been perfect for an NFT, but retrofitting seems uh, daunting, I guess, would be the case. And I'm also not a developer, so I, I worry about how I would manage the whole thing. Yeah. Um, well, so if you were to launch a lifetime uh, membership via NFT, um, yeah, well, on the, on, on the screen here, you can see you would need to, if you minted the NFT, then it would just be a Web3 validation that you owned it. But let's say for your existing members, um, during the mint process, you could do what they call like whitelist them, right? So, okay. um, it's part of the smart, smart contract. You have the list of all your lifetime memberships. Okay. Um, and we're just going to use the Ethereum blockchain as an example. You ask for their Ethereum address. They would submit that to you within a time frame. And then they would be able to mint that lifetime membership for free and get the NFT. And so you would say have, I don't know how many lifetime members you have, but let's just say it's 500. You would have 500 of the NFTs allocated to them that only they can mint. Yeah. And then yeah. you would have the rest of the collection. Let's say it's another 500 that, um, the, the public market can mint, right? At, you know, whatever mint date it is. I mean, and just to break down that term mint, mint is when you actually, um, pay to create and generate the NFT from the smart contract. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, you could do it. It would take a little bit of manual work to, put all the existing members' addresses um, and whitelist them, but um, it's certainly possible, and they would be able to mint at, you know, no charge, and then the remainders would have whatever costs you establish. Um, yeah, and, like, because I know I'm going to get questions about this, I'm going to clear the air with it. If I do this, um, I've discussed this with several people, and we've already decided, like, obviously, when I sell a, a, a lifetime rate, I sell it for 300 bucks. If I NFT it, I'm not going to sell for 300 bucks anymore. No, you know, yeah. I'm going to sell it for 500 or 600 mm -hmm. or something like that. But whatever the differential is, what I would want to do is take that differential and let any existing member upgrade to an NFT yeah. for that dollar amount. But the other thing, and like people say, why don't you just like, it wouldn't be a lot of work to manually update passwords or whatever. Like people can do that themselves. Like you've transferred your membership. Once the new member, like they could be done on the back end between y'all, like, and, and I'm just, I, I, yeah. I, I'm only going to go through all the shit to do this because I don't hate money. If there is that, 
piece that I get when you transfer your membership, right? Like, I don't know if it's 5%. Yeah. I don't know what it would be. I'd have to do some time with, you know, I might not be good with programming, but I'm damn good with Excel. And I would have to figure out, like, what is my cannibalization rate? And I, this has to be profitable or I'm not going to do it. So maybe when you transfer it, if you sell your NFT for a thousand bucks, I get 50 or a hundred. And that all has to be automated or it's not. And that's what the beauty of this is. When you do it right, that's all automated. And yeah. I think that's why people like Mark Cuban are excited. Like, not only does it clamp down on scalping, it makes scalping profitable for the Mavericks, right? Because yeah. now to transfer your ticket for it to validate when you go in through the, the gate, right, you're going to have to scan it. It's going to have to validate that you own it. And so if it transferred, then Cuban got his extra five bucks or 50 bucks or 500 bucks, depending on what game it is. Yeah. Um, and multiply that by all the attendance, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So you, you, yeah. you would set whatever that fee is, um, when it's sold on the secondary market. And, you know, again, currently those fees are optional. They're built into the, the smart contract. But, you know, if I just transfer uh, NFT to you, well, there was no exchange of, of Ethereum at that point. And then yeah. you send me an Ethereum after we, we sort of skipped that part, but you can limit it. You could create an NFT that can only be traded on a certain marketplace ah. at the same time. So let's say you just use your website and you can sell this, but you have to sell it via the marketplace that's on the website. Um, and you know, it, it would save you time in the long run. I know when you create lifetime memberships, you manually create the user and the password. Yeah. Well, now you don't have to do that. They have MetaMask installed. They log in with their wallet. They sign a transaction that validates they have the NFT. That's their user account. You know, and then when they sell it or transfer it to someone else, they come back to the website. They can have the same user account, but they don't have those member benefits. Gotcha. Gotcha. It, it's very interesting. I mean, yeah. you could even basically frame in the freaking marketplace into the back end so that people could use their membership to transfer their membership, right? Like, yeah. it's an interesting thing. And I know I can make money doing it, but I'm not going to do it unless I can do it right. And I think that that's yeah. something people yeah, need to sure. think about. And the other thing I think people need to think about, like, because I love this idea of like, I call it an ownership economy of the small entrepreneur being able to change the way they gain financing. And it's basically by pre-selling some portion of what they do or cutting people in on a profit for some portion of what they do. But you're also obligating yourself for a significant point out into the future. And you're, you're, it's like taking people need to understand this in a way. It's like taking a VC in. They may not yeah. have the thumb to put down on top of you the way a VC does, but they're going to extract that capital. And if you're, if you're going to grow a big business and you ever decide, okay, I'm big enough now. I'm ready to go to a VC, like a shark tank thing. And I'm going to make a pitch. One thing they always want to know, who do you owe what, right? I'm going to yeah. buy 20% of your business, but I'm also buying 20% of your obligations. So if you've sold off 10% of your profits for the next 10 years, I've just, you've just devalued my ownership stake in your company. You've diluted it with technically it's other investors. And I, I think that's something that like, because a lot of people have gotten really excited about this and I think it's a great idea, but you really need to think about the long-term implications of doing this if you're going to actually attach it to an ongoing concern like a business, a podcast, whatever. But then I look at people like, you know, all this shit going on with Joe Rogan right now, you know, we could have an NFT marketplace and it's also a, a podcast aggregating service. And what the hell is what hell what the hell would the the ownership rights to the Robert Malone interview would yeah. Joe Rogan be worth right now? That one would probably be fractionalized unless some, you know, 
some uh, whale just wanted it out of ego stake. I mean, you know, and then the one that was the old ones with Randall Carlson might be worth a thousand bucks. I don't know, but like, I think there's like, there's a, a tremendous amount of opportunity for anything that's being created now for people to have ownership in it. I don't know how, if all of it will be profitable to the owner, but I do know that people buy things just because they want them. I have things yeah. I buy because they do a thing. I have buy, buy things because I think it should be worth more money. I buy things that I know will be worth less, but I'm buying them for what they do for me now. But I have some things that hang on my wall. You know, this is mainly for the, the video, but I have a, a beautiful painting on, on, on the other wall above my fish tanks. I, that's never going to be worth any money, but I've had it hanging on my wall for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of the, the patron of the art point, right? As people buy it to support the artists, they like their art. Maybe um, it's worth something in the future. Maybe it's not like this. I don't know what this will be worth, but I, I bought it. I, I liked it. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. And, and on that point, I don't know if this is going to show, but like my first venture into NFTs was what was advertised as a physical NFT, um, by a, a Bitcoin maxi. It's probably not going to show up. It's not, but it's a physical painting. Um, but what he does is he loads. Have you seen the open dime, um, physical hardware wallets? They're like little yeah. USB sticks that can hold Bitcoin. Um, every one of these, he, they're one of one editions, but he'll make them and then he'll frame the open dime hardware wallet into the painting. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm probably never going to sell this, but I bought it to support him and, you know, it has a little bit of Bitcoin in it, but you can track that. And see if that Bitcoin's ever been accessed and he has it on his website. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of different use cases out there, um, for NFTs. And, and as you said, it's the ownership economy. It's really allowing digital ownership, um, and the creator to decide on scarcity, basically. You know, do you want only 10,000 of these to exist? Um, or do you want, you know, an infinite amount to exist and anyone can have your artwork. I'm just letting the people know on float. We can see them and they can ask us questions too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that's really interesting. Like one of the things that uh, I'm a member of Brian Norton's uh, coffee club. And he said, when he gets to a certain number of club members, he's going to shut it down. And he's going to NFT all the positions. Yeah. And I, he's going to allow you to put some sort of artwork on your coffee. So oh, that yeah. for me might be like the TSP logo or something like that. So that could lead to like, now he's private labeling coffee for me, right? Cause you're under, yeah, exactly. now you're ordering under my brand. But then the other side of that is if somebody actually gives a shit enough that it's Jack Spierko's position in the coffee club and I decide I don't want it anymore, I could sell that or I could fractionalize. Is there, is there anything that prevents me from buying an NFT than fractionalizing that NFT? Not at all. Right. Those no, yeah, it's already been that NFT would still exist, right? But then there would be fractional pieces that claimed ownership of it. So I'm not actually yeah. breaking it apart. It's I'm not going to chop the 67 Mustang up into 100 pieces. I'm going to NFT the title. Yeah, and that's right. already being done. Um, so it's maybe a, a dumb example, but um, you know the Doge meme mm -hmm. where Dogecoin came from, but the actual picture that that sort of kicked that off, the creator. Um, and I guess the owner of the dog, um, and owner of that photo made that an NFT. And then 
what happened was a DAO, which is a autonomous organization, um, bought that NFT and they fractionalized it. Um, and so, I mean, the value, when it first happened, the value of the NFT just skyrocketed. It's come down, but it, you know, it's related to Doge. Um, so it's got that mean value, but, um, yeah, you can certainly fractionalize NFTs. Awesome. So another thought I had, and I know you're into DeFi as well. It would seem like these two things might go really well together. Um, another thing I saw Algorand doing, well, not really all, somebody building on the Algorand chain was this company that was a real estate company and they're buying and renting houses. And I think it was Cincinnati, which I'm, I'm immediately out, but I love the idea. And it wasn't like, Hey, give us money and then we'll go find a house. It was like, we own this house. Here's this house. Here's the property value. And that's what, and you know, because it's an assessed value that taxes are being paid on right now. Here's the total cost a month to maintain this property plus like a little bit of extra money in case a water heater blows up or something like that. Here's the current rental income and it's just being sold and it's chopped up into a thousand pieces and you can buy one or you can buy all thousand of them. And then basically you have a percentage of ownership in that home. You get paid rental income monthly. And if the house reaches a point where they sell it and there's an equity gain, then that equity gain is distributed out. That's really cool. But then you know, I'm watching people buy homes with DeFi yeah. and thinking, you know, that maybe doesn't really apply to the guy buying the token, but to the guy buying the house, that gets really, really interesting where now you've got a real estate company leveraging DeFi to buy homes using yield farming to pay the mortgage and selling the NFTs. And the number one way people became millionaires in this country until cryptocurrency was real estate. And I don't know if you take cryptocurrency and your real estate and you figure out how to put it together the right way. Um, we end up in a, a really, really interesting situation. But again, I think there has to be some kind of check some cross chain thing to make sure that I haven't. Yeah, I guess, you know, you'd get caught really quick, wouldn't you? Because, you know, you buy in on the Ethereum chain and, and, and Tom buys in on, on the Algo chain and then you don't get your money. Like yeah. you can only run, it's not like Bernie Madoff where you have billions and billions to work with here. Like you're gonna you're gonna and you have a uh the way that was set up I and mean, it was a monthly payout. Like, oh yeah. It was already set up like it was like your yield per token will be this much money a month unless there's some unforeseen expense. Yeah. You know? So I I guess yeah. that's not a huge concern, but that also makes me go, well, what's the value of these ecosystems that are really great at cross chain? working because you could build smart contracts that make sure that it's not duplicated on these other chains, like, uh, like Cosmos, right? Cosmos is really about reaching across the ecosystems. Yeah. Um, you know, that's certainly a, a challenge and sort of what we talked to before something existing on multiple chains. Um, but like you said, in that scenario, you're going to get your money or not and find out quickly. Now, maybe, Maybe it's too late when you find out, but, um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, in that, that case too, you've got to obviously work out, I think at that point, security laws. Um, if, if you're paying out dividends and based on token ownership, but, you know, I mean, there's, there's laws around that and, and you can figure that out. Um, but yeah, you can certainly fractionalize an NFT. Um, and, and usually how they do that is it, uh, is just a token that, you know, is a percentage ownership of that NFT. 
So. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I, I, I do worry a lot in the crypto space period right now about the word you just brought up, and that's security. Because if you want me to make a case that Bitcoin's not a security, I can do a real good job of that. You can even take some of the early mine coins like Litecoin and even some of the current, like newer mine coins, like let's say Pirate Chain that went on a fair launch. They're truly distributed. Um, they don't have a company at their head. There's not one person that can say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to change our monetary policy. But if I look at a lot of altcoins, even ones I really like, Cosmos, Algorand, ones I don't like yeah. so much because of some back end things I know like Cardano, uh, but they work well. And you say, prove this is not a security. As a lawyer, I don't, unless you got a lot of money, even if you lose, I don't know if I want that case. Yeah, it's, um, you know, especially if they had an ICO, any initial offering that you had to buy into, um, it could be a little sketchy, but, um, I guess we got to see what happens there, you know. Um, but yeah, Bitcoin, I, I think that's really the, the main one. It's, it's established. It's property. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, everything else we're still sort of waiting on and just got to see what happens. Now, the reason I don't think an NFT in a rental house or a car or something like that is a security is because first of all, to sell it, I have to own it. So I have to, I have, have to have already established ownership. You know exactly what you're buying. And I could sell, I could, you know, right now, if I went on the air as a public personality, and I said, I am raising funds to do exactly that. I'm going to bring your money in and we're going to buy houses and then we're going to pay a dividend out. I'm going to prison. Yeah. Now I'm going, and I know I'm going to prison because I tried to do something similar and I was very much risk disclosure and everything like that. But they, I had a guy from the FTC who liked what I did said, I love what you do. I think it's a great idea, but you will go to prison if you do it. And then I didn't do it. People were like, you should do it anyway. Like you're not the one going to club beds. Yeah. So that's so easy for you to say. But if I had went out and bought a farm and wanted to sell pieces of it, I can do that because you know what you're buying. You're not investing in a scheme. You're buying a portion of an asset. So to me, as long as the NFT is you're buying a portion of an asset that exists. So if if I'm selling you the rights to these vines on like liquid vineyards, those vines better be in the ground and alive. If they're not in the ground and alive, then we start to get in the gray area. If they're in a pot and I'm going to plant them when you buy them, that's probably, I'm not a lawyer, but that's probably okay. If it's, well, I haven't bought the vineyard yet, but when I do, you'll get five vines. I think you're in a, that's where you're in a money raising scheme. You're in a securities type arrangement or what have you. But if you're selling the right to something, you already have the ability to sell. All you're doing is tokenizing it. It's like, if you buy a knife and it has a certificate of authenticity that comes with it, it I, I don't right. see how it's any different. It, but the difference is, and this is for people who go, well, that's great. Then it just opens everything up. Sort of. Why do I want to bring money in from investors? If I bring money from investors as seed money, it's not revenue. It's not no. taxed. I don't have to defer an expense against it. So I don't end up disposed. Like my investors put in, $100,000, and I immediately turn around and get $40,000 to the government, it's very hard for me to give them the ROI. So that's the handicap you're in at that point. If you're trying to use it as a substitute for investment, now it's revenue. So you need to have a way to dispose of it legally as an expense, and that's going to be like people doing this. I always tell people, I learned the hard way, man. 
don't don't launch something that's going to raise a bunch of money in August or September. Launch it in January yeah. or February because then you have a year to spend the money. money. If you want to spend the money. If you, all you spend the money and you spend it on the business, now it's not taxable because it's an expense. And and you know that has to be really really well. That's a different thing, but boy, it ties into what we're talking about today because that vineyard just sold 30 years worth of wine and they've only produced one and they're paying tax on the profit on all 30 years of those sales. And that's, you know, that's when we get into the real world. It's unlike digital. The digital artist is like, I don't care. Yeah. I'll pay tax on it anyway. Maybe depending on what somebody bought it in. You brought up a word though, that we need to dig into a little bit here. Uh, Bitcoin with this. Can you do NFTs with Bitcoin? Cause there's a lot of Bitcoin maxis out there, man, that they won't touch nothing else. Yeah, you, you can. Um, so there's a marketplace on the Lightning Network called Scarce City. Um, right. and I don't know if you've you heard of, uh, Scarce, S-C-A-R? Yeah, C-E space city. And I have the link here. Um, for me real quick and I'll, I'll drop it in. There's also, um, if you've heard of like the side chains, um, stacks is, I haven't looked into them too much, but, um, they have their own NFT marketplace. They're a layer one, but they say they settle the Bitcoin. Um, so they roll up transactions, settle on the Bitcoin network. Um, but there's a lot of stuff being built on lightning. So it's not directly on BTC. Um, you know, it's on layer two, but. You call it powered um, by TC, I guess you would say. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's that's something that, especially with Taproot, which you know was just activated, um, is unlocking that sort of potential. I actually think one of the reasons the Bitcoin maxis have such a almost toxic position is because they feel like all these technologies that all these altcoins have been designed to deliver. It would already be on Bitcoin and operational if people weren't doing it over here, because I think it's harder yeah. to do with Bitcoin because you have to build the tech to be interoperable with Bitcoin, either the primary chain or, uh, you know, a, a, a layered uh, solution like like Scarce is. And you don't get any money. Yep. You don't get any money immediately out of the till where if I develop something like Cosmos and it works and people use it every time they use it, I make money. And I don't just make money when they use it. I make money when I dump it and I get it listed on one exchange and it starts to develop traction. And I've, you know, I've magically obtained a bunch of it myself somehow. Like there was no pre-mine, but when it was really easy and no one was doing it, yeah. I had you know 20 ant miners running on it or something like that for a day. And I got the first, you know, 2 billion of them. And then all of a sudden I have instant reward. And I think that's something that Bitcoin has. A, now, I don't know that people should buy into that necessarily, but human nature is human nature. If I can create my own token and develop a technology and I can immediately get a payday, like in the first six months, or I can build this technology that may or may not work. And if it works someday, maybe I'll make money on it in the Bitcoin universe. I'm probably going to do the first one because I got to pay my, I got to pay development costs and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you have um, a lot of developers in this space that, you know, we'll even say that they're, they're pretty much Bitcoin maxis, but, um, I feel like there's different levels of, uh, maximalism when it comes to Bitcoin. Um, but a lot of them start out 
like a project on Cosmos, um, Osmosis Exchange, one of the creators, you know, he's, he's self-proclaimed Bitcoin maxi. Um, but it's, you know, it can be easier to build things on these other technologies. Um, even though you might see Bitcoin as becoming that the global currency, the global settlement layer, whatever you want it to be, um, it's not as easy to build on as all of these other techs. You know, if we start seeing Michael Saylor's view in this and we take out his hatred of alts, right? But you see, like, he doesn't expect that Bitcoin will become the global currency. He sees it more as global money, the global gold, the digital gold, uh, digital property, digital energy. He's got a bunch of different terms for it. But what it all means is I store my wealth here and I spend currency. And if I am out of currency and I need to go into my wealth and I have a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin back here and I'm going to go to the bar, I don't take my Trezor in there and plug it in at the cash register and transfer five bucks to buy a beer. I convert a small portion of my billion dollars, 100 bucks, 200 bucks into probably digital dollars in his world. And then I go to the bar and I have, you know, my square app or my strike app or whatever. And I've got a couple hundred bucks I can spend at the bar. That way I don't overspend. And all my wealth is squarely locked locked away over here until I earn more currency. And then I keep some and I put that in my battery back here. Well, if we look at that with NFTs, there's no reason that that same model doesn't work with alternative currencies get used as currencies. And Bitcoin gets used as digital gold. And, you know, I don't consider myself a Bitcoin maximalist. I, I, I used to say I was a maximalist light. And then a guy that I've met on Gab named Robert, and we have some conversations back and forth, I, I like his turn for it. He, he says, I'm a shitcoin minimalist. Right? So <laughs> yeah. like, I dabble in some shitcoins, and I see some use case scenarios from shitcoins. But my wealth is going to always be stored in, in, the, in the Bitcoin world. And I think there's room for that here, right? Like if I'm doing all that stuff with the housing market, if I'm the guy behind it, then whatever profit I don't need to reinvest, I'm probably sweeping that into Bitcoin. Okay. And I'm using real property to buy digital property, right? And I'm using other people's money to buy the, the real property. And then I'm using other people's profits to, to buy the digital property. And that just seems like something that's going to be like, why wouldn't you do that if you could? Yeah, that's, that's sort of how I like to, to view it. And I guess maybe what I mean, like on the, the global settlement layer, you know, eventually things settle to Bitcoin because that's where the the wealth is. Um, and then you extract from that <clears throat> when you need to. Um, I just had a thought, though. I know that earlier you had mentioned, like, if you bought a knife and it has a certificate of authenticity, well, you know, that certificate of authenticity could be linked to an NFT that is transferred when the knife is sold. And you know that when you buy that knife, if you don't also get this NFT, then there may be a problem. Um, right. And that's just another another use case. You know, I mean, anything that's that's what's great about NFTs is it is digital ownership, digital property, just like we have physical property. Um, <clears throat> it represents digital property and it can represent digital property of a physical item. Um, and that's sort of the, the future state. And, and as we said, you know, it's sort of. Maybe not there yet, but it's, it is coming. Um, whether it's, you know, a lot of places doing tickets as NFTs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could see a scenario where not that I, I advocate this, but maybe you, um, own a timeshare or you do your Airbnbs. Um, and you're 
your key could be an NFT that you issue, and then you can set up a smart contract in a way that after a certain date, you revoke it and it comes back to you, and then you issue that key to the next person to stay at your Airbnb. There's a lot of use cases that mm. um, I'm sure you know we haven't even thought of yet, uh, being this early in in the industry. Um, but a whole new level of speculation too. Maybe what I want to do is I want to buy six months of your Airbnb, but I don't actually want to live there. But I, I think like something's going to happen in where your Airbnb is located. So I buy six months of it. I have the rental rights for the next six months, but you get your money now. So that prevents you from having to sell your property, right? And maybe it's a form of DeFi, even though it's not called DeFi, because maybe I'm willing to pay a certain amount of money for six months rental rights, okay? If you sell me the property, it's gone. You have the the capital Mm -hmm. now to do something with, but it's gone. But if you only sell me six months of rights to it and it auto-reverts by the smart contract, maybe what you want to do is you want to buy another Airbnb, there's yeah. your down payment. You give up your cash flow for six months, but you have a second Airbnb. It's like a partial financing for a fixed term with known terms on both sides. And I might be like, I'll do it for 20% less than you would have made. Right. And then you're willing to take the 20% hit for the money now and the opportunity to buy that other property. That's cool. That's actually really cool. Like the first way you described it, I'm not sure, but, and that's why you said you didn't advocate it. But the second yeah. way that starts to make a lot of sense. And there's a lot of, uh, Money that flows between real estate investors, and I don't just mean Robert Kiyosaki types. I mean everyday, normal people. Yeah. One guy's a little bit more successful. He's got a little bit bigger of a bankroll. He's mentoring somebody. This would be a way to make it really clean. Um, another thing that I thought of when you're talking about the sport, sports thing and the certificates, and we just talked we talked in the beginning about how you can use NFTs for fraud, but you might be able to use them as fraud prevention. So I remember way back in the 80s when, like, you know, one of the the, the biggest names in football was Jerry Rice, and 2020 did a segment on forgeries in the world of autographs and they didn't go out and buy them from a guy on the corner of the street in New York city. They went to like, you know, they went to 49er stadium and they went in the gift shop and they bought a picture of Jerry Rice with Jerry Rice's signature on it. And they bought a bunch of other stuff and they went to these different athletes. I just remember Rice because I was a Niners fan at the time because Montana played there. And, um, they, they had Jerry Rice in an interview and they handed him this picture and they said, is that your signature? And he goes, no, man, I, that ain't what I, he wasn't even a good forgery. He's like, I, I never signed that. And they're like, where do you think this came from? He's like, I don't know. And they're like, we bought it at the stadium you play in. And he couldn't believe it. Well, yeah. if you had, you know, a smart contract and have mul- obviously can have multiple connections. So if it was Jerry Rice and he had signed 500, uh, a prince of this one particular moment. And it, you know, there's kind of physical good with a handwritten signature here. All of those could be serialed back to a smart contract. And that, that certificate would then have a number that relates back to that smart contract. And that would prevent, I honestly don't think that the 49ers gift shop was intentionally doing this. I think that there was fraud within the supply system that they didn't find. That would prevent that. So I think it can be intentional or it can be somebody's intent, but the guy selling it may not have any idea. And I, I, I've never been big on collectibles like that anyway. I don't like spending money I don't have on things I don't need. But every time, you know, when Walt, when malls were still a thing and I would be in one and I saw a place like that, and I'd see all these pictures of, you know, all these famous players or famous actors or whatever, their signature on it. I was always like, how, how the hell do I actually know? 
yeah. that's legitimate. I, I would feel much more comfortable with that because I can go see the day it was no, you know, the day that the contract was executed to convey authenticity to this thing where I have nothing other than this piece of paper that means nothing. And next thing I know, I'm in front of the, the, the bald guy, Rick, at, at the pawn shop, and he's got his expert coming in going, nope, <laughs> not legit, right? And that can be done with books. Like, so if you buy a first collector's edition of a book that's old as shit, there's no NFT on it. You just buy the book. But you could go to an authenticating service and then NFT mm-hmm. the book with the authentication together. And if you could prove that, let's say, somebody owned the book before you, let's say that it was a, a book written by Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson owned it, and there was some way to authenticate that, you could literally tie that into the contract in the NFT showing the the yeah. uh the heritage of the book, uh, the, the, I can't think of the word I'm looking for here, right? The, 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 the basically the breed that could be yeah. expensive livestock, right? How, how does a farmer prove that his bull that he's trying to sell you for your stock really came from this line of, of, of great bulls, right? That could be anything like that. And then you're preventing fraud instead of expo- you know, creating fraud. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's, that's the other thing, you know, and I, I had a few notes, but like the traditional, Art uh, economy, I guess, is like $60 billion for official artworks, right? Well, the forgery marketplace is like $30 billion. That's in, that was based on 2020, um, you know, valuations. But if you think about that, I mean, some people don't care if they have a forgery of, of an art piece, but some of those people thought they were buying the real thing. Um, and it might have even gotten past actual art inspectors, if you will. Um, whereas if, you know, it's linked to an NFT in some way, then that's verifiable again. You know, yeah, yeah you can right-click save, but um, that's digital art. You can link physical art to an NFT, and then you know, like, if someone's trying to sell you this artwork, but they don't have the NFT to also transfer to you upon purchase, it's probably fake. Um, so there's a lot of use cases. And we may get to a point where that's like expected. Mm-hmm. Like when you're trying to transfer some collectible, where's the NFT? Right. Like, yeah. like show me the Carfax. Right. Um, yeah. um, we got some questions here and I'm going to need to wrap up soon. So let's maybe hit a few yeah. of them. Some are fun. Some are technical. Um, this one looks like it's me, but it's just somebody asking on one of the other stream services. Yeah. Where did the name Wavehead come from? And one person over there said his, his head doesn't look like a wave. No, yeah, my, my head's not very wavy. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of the music genre vaporwave, um, no. or new retro wave, synth wave. I just like all those different music types. Um, and I just came up with Wavehead. So. Okay. Yeah. I figured it had something to do with programming and waveforms and something like that, you know. Um, we got from John here. When an NFT is fractionalized, what market exists to sell the fraction? My guess is on that, it's like any other NFT. It's an NFT. Like the, the original NFT is not really fractionalized. It's still there. And now you have something that confers a fraction of ownership to that thing. Yeah. So um, it the fractionalized NFT ends up behaving as a regular ERC-20 token. Um, so SushiSwap, Uniswap, if it gets listed on something like Coinbase or any centralized exchange, but um, that's where that 
that happens. And it essentially provides, I guess, more liquidity um, than a, a physical or a, a digital NFT, because um, that is one thing. I, I don't really suggest buying NFTs with the intent of making money because they're very illiquid. You can make money, but they can also have no market um, and no one to buy them. So, yeah, um, and the, the more the you fractionalize, the more pieces, the less market because the more there are, yeah. right? So if it's an ego purchase and there's one, that's one thing. But if it's an ego purchase and somebody takes the Doge picture, like you said, and makes a million yeah. of them, well, then, you know, yeah. you probably never get your money back, you know? Yeah. Um, so then this looks like it's for me as well. It's not. It's from Odyssey. How would you fractionalize a cow? Uh, I think you'd do it like you would fractionalize anything, but there'd be multiple options. You could actually fractionalize ownership in the cow. Um, yeah. If it was a bull, you could fractionalize the shares of the, the value of semen, which sounds really stupid until you talk to a rancher and find out how much it costs, <laughs> right? If this yeah. is a product cow, right? Um, you could fra- If it's a milk cow, you could fractionalize the milk yield, yeah. Um, if it's a heifer and you're going to breed her, you could fractionalize the value of the calves. That ca- like, I guess you could do it any way you want, but it's no different than fractionalizing a, a coffee cup or my 67 Mustang, right? It's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah basically. And that's actually, um, I'm in a, a very popular NFT discord. Um, and that's something that the owner was approached about. I'm a farmer wanting to basically, turn their cow into NFTs and, and, you know, he's sort of was asking for a thought process behind that. And, and my first thought was, well, that's just a milk share, right? Yeah. Like that's one way to do it. Um, or the beef. Now, obviously once it becomes an, or you sell an NFT for access to that, you have other logistics. Like if your farms in the UK and I'm in America, you probably not, aren't going to ship me that beef or it's going to be cost prohibitive. Cost yeah. prohibitive. So, um, what do you do then? Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of different ways you could do that. Whether it's, you know, you own the NFT that represents that cow and just their milk or that cow and their beef or a quarter cow or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of ways to do that. And, you know, another thought I've had behind that is there's a, a local ranch down the road does grass fed grass beef. Um, and, they could sell an NFT that maybe doesn't like guarantee me the whole cow, but gives me a percentage discount on all the beef I buy for however long. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because again, given that it's a smart contract, NFTs could be valid for, you know, whatever time period you set. Um, so maybe it's just a year long membership and, Anytime I go in there, I get a 5% discount. But that's sure. another way you could do it if you had, you know, cows and sold your beef. As an entrepreneur, like, I can tell you some of the advantages. Because I said, like, obligating yourself in the future, that can be a bad thing, but it also can be a good thing. So if I'm – I know I'm going to have a certain number of milk cows, I could – and I know I'm going to replace them, right? Now, because I have an obligation to deliver your quart of milk a week or a gallon a month or whatever it is, Right. I can say you own this cow, but if this cow gets sick, dies, gets old, obviously I'm going to replace a cow, and you have five years of milk from me. Now, if you're paying me monthly in a membership, a cow share, and you quit, and now I've got surplus milk i got to get rid of, it's my problem. Yeah. Right? It's my problem. And if you decide you don't like the service and you've paid me a certain amount of money and you want a refund, it's my problem. 
right? And it's your problem, but it's now it's both of our problems. And maybe you don't get a full refund. Maybe you get a, it's still my problem, right? If I sell you an NFT on a five-year contract for a gallon of milk a month or two gallons a month or four, whatever it is, and you say, I don't want to do this anymore, it's not my problem. Your milk's here. You tell me what you want me to do with it, and I will or I won't. You know, uh, you'll either come get it or you won't, and I can feed it to my pigs, or I can give it away for free to somebody else. I can donate it to charity, whatever else. You know, it's up to you. It's your milk. You're supposed to come get it. But what you have is the ability to go to somebody and say, I have three years left in this contract, and the price of milk's gone up. I just maybe I, maybe you went keto and you don't drink milk anymore. Yeah. Right? And now you just need to divest. So now you're less risk adverse coming in, and I'm less less risk adverse to this model. Because I can tell you, like, when you're selling a recurringly produced product from livestock, and there's a certain amount of food has to go in that animal's mouth, and it doesn't produce without it, and it dies without it, and you've built up a herd, or in my case, a flock, and you have one customer that's taking, in my case, it was 80 dozen eggs a month, and they quit? Well, that sucks. But if they had bought that contract, I don't care. It's not my problem. You bought the contract. And therefore, I have the eggs. It's up to you what whatever you want to do with them. But when they wanted to leave, if it was a, a purchase contract, it's hard for them to get out. But if it's an NFT, it's very easy to transfer it to somebody else or to fractionalize it. Maybe yeah. they know some other restaurants and are like, we'll, we'll fractionalize it to four restaurants. Okay? As long as they meet the terms of the original NFT, I don't care. And so my customer now solves my problem versus me having to solve my customer's problem. And as an entrepreneur... I know there's some customers out there going, that sucks. No, I, I love that, right? Because now I can do a better job for all my customers. So I'm spending less time trying to fix problems. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot that can be done for um, farmers. And, you know, I mean, there's a technical hurdle that might make it difficult, um, but it's getting easier and easier to create these smart contracts. Um, so hopefully we, we start seeing that more in the future. Do you think, before we go on to this next question, this is a question that you yeah. made me think of there. Like, so when I first got involved with the internet, it was like mid nineties and to set up a blog was a pain in the ass. And then, you know, Google came out with Blogspot and it was easy, but it sucked. And then WordPress came out and it was a lot easier. And once you learned how to do it, it's kind of like crypto. You learn how to do it, it you're saying it's easy. But when you tried to explain it to somebody, you realized, it is it, it's not so easy. Like, you know, downloading and configuring a plugin in WordPress is if you've done it, it's easy. I did it a lot. You don't have to download it and install. Now you click a button. I probably would have to relearn the whole skill set because I haven't done it in so long. But then WordPress kind of adapted and, and got to the point now. You want a WordPress blog, you buy hosting, you say install WordPress, install theme, install these plugins, and it works, right? And if you need a little bit of help, it's cheap because everybody knows how to use it. Do you see like NFTs, crypto, DeFi, all this stuff eventually evolving as, as WordPress did and other website suites did to the point where the average person, the average moron like me can just do these things? Yeah, definitely. Um, I really think that NFTs, depending on what you want to do, are already there. Um, if you just want to take some artwork that you've created or some photos and you want to mint NFTs. Um, OpenSea makes that very easy. There's a lot of websites that have sort of templated contracts um, and they make it easy. And then it's on you to 
to store that NFT somewhere, right? Because there's a couple of different ways you can store the actual data. Um, cause you know, I have this NFT. It's an image. It has to be stored somewhere. Sure. Um, whether that's on the chain. So that's actually on the Ethereum blockchain, whether that's on something like Arweave, which is a storage chain or IPFS, which is decentralized, but not as permanent as on chain or on Arweave, or you just host a, a server and you, you know, have all the data there. Yeah. And obviously you get into permanence, but, um, you know, it is getting easier. I do think with NFTs, we might already be there depending on what you want to do. Um, DeFi, that's such a broad term. Um, we could have a whole other discussion around DeFi. Um, but yeah, it's going to depend on, you know, do you want to, to supply, you know, crypto for someone to borrow against? Do yeah. you want to borrow yourself? Um, how do you want that to pay itself back, if at all? Um, that's probably got a ways to go unless, you know, I know Coinbase probably offers this. Um, I know Gemini offers this where through their own website, you can put your crypto that you hold up and they'll pay you interest. Um, yeah, it's basically yeah, staking for lack of a better term, you know. It's yeah. Not the same as proof of stake, but it's staking. You're staking a point yep. and you're making it available. Um, I'm thinking more like, so you say anybody can NFTs now, and I guess if I wanted to make an NFT for a piece of digital art, I could, but if, if I wanted to make something complex with integrated smart contracts where I was going to release a book and then every time it sold, uh, all of my initial backers that own 10% collectively between them would get royalties with me. That's not yeah. something I can do easily. Or if I wanted no. to, uh, to set up like a documentary and I wanted to sell ownership shares in the documentary, and, and pay royalties out on that. Like that's like, I'm wondering if we'll get to a point where it's like a wizard, like you just start, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's probably a few years out with that many right. steps. Um, I know there's a, a newer project or website launch that helps with a little more involved NFT creation. Gotcha. Um, and it is more wizard like, but it, it wouldn't be to that extent. Where it's, um, you know, revenue sharing amongst holders or anything like that. I think it'll eventually at least get to like LegalZoom. So I want a contract. Yeah. I go to LegalZoom. I download Boilerplate. I take it to my attorney and he fixes five or six things and adds in two or three things and he charges me a grand instead of like 50 grand to set this yep. thing up because all the Boilerplate's done because he was going to use Boilerplate anyway. It's just yeah. if I brought it to him. Like he knows that's what he's doing, or I, I just say, hey, look, uh, I'll, I'll pay you five hundred bucks to review this and tell me what I need to add. I think we'll, we'll probably get there before we get to like my first idea. Uh, Kbong says, as of today, what is the most popular NFT platform? Yeah, that's uh, hands down OpenSea. Okay. Um, and that's, that's Ethereum, right? That's Ethereum. Um, they do support uh, Polygon Network which is sort of a layer two of Ethereum. Um, but yeah, that's Ethereum. It's like lightning for Ethereum, except it's not. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Iowa Farm Voice says uh, I could NFT AR, TSPC AR uppers, and, and I could, right? Um, that would actually be really interesting. And it has yeah. me thinking, like, a lot of things I think I could do, and I could make some money on one time, if there was transferability and then there was a royalty back, it starts to be a little bit more attractive to do because I'm yeah. not in the AR-15 lower business. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm set up way different than my buddy Brian Black. Like he's in that, he's in the merchandise business. I'm really not. Anything I did would be limited because I don't want to do it every day. So it would be yeah, one. Awesome. It would me be, it would be me going to some company and saying, I want to make 100 sequentially numbered AR-15 lowers and I'm going to keep one and two for my, one, two and 007 for myself or something like that. And, uh, then I would sell those and it would be done. But, but yeah. if it's a lot of work to do, people think it's easy. It, each piece is easy. Pulling the whole thing off is complex, complicated. And you got to worry, did the guy get his, you know, lower? There's returns, all kinds of shit. But again, there is no return. As long as you got your shit delivered to you and we'd send it, obviously, in short mail, that would be boiled into the price. Um, you don't want it anymore. Talk to Wavehead. Maybe he wants a second one. I don't know. Like, so, yeah, I think that's a, a use case scenario. I don't know if I would do that one, but, you know, I, I sold uh, 200 uh, little Swiss Army Trekker knives uh, back in 2010 with a logo on them. Real simple, yeah. off-the-shelf product with an engraving. I had two of them. I threw one on the barter blanket a couple of years ago. People were killing themselves over it. Like I almost felt yeah. bad the deal that I made to trade it because I'm like, man, this is like a this is like a fifty dollar knife, you know. But it mattered, so I, it, it does open the idea to me that like, you know, I've always been maybe ethical to a fault with things that I sell branded and all. Like I don't want to feel like I'm taking advantage of somebody, but I guess it's right. really if people value it. Then is I think the thing you have to do with NFTs yeah. and anything collectible. You can't go out telling people you need to buy this today because man, tomorrow it's going to be worth yeah. five times. Like I think that's really unethical and it, it pushes me away from even doing it ethically. I think at times. Um, yeah, real quick, if I could. So that's a one thing about NFTs, and not all of them um, NFT projects are doing this, but it's a good way to build a community or to allow your community to support you in in some yeah. way. Um, you know, and you have that, you see where there's maybe established uh, companies launching NFTs. They already have a community, but it, it allows their community to support them. And then you have totally new brands being built because of an NFT that launched. Um, and I'm just going to use the, the Board Ape Yacht Club as an example, because we're probably all familiar with it. They're the monkey JPEGs that, you know, sell for 95 Ethereum right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they've, they over time, yeah, have built a community. And I'm not saying it's worth that. That's, yeah, you know, value is derived from the individual, I guess. But, uh, you know, it has offered different perks to people that, that own them. Um, and it offers you, whether that's access to individuals within the community or, mm. you know, individuals into or access to like a, a club, um, that's yeah, another yeah. thing that we're seeing is membership NFTs. I have a few myself. I like to golf. Um, there's a, an NFT that, that launched that's about golf and, and they have a goal of buying a golf course. And just from having that NFT, I've already got discounts to various different, um, you know, golf websites, whether that's for merchandise or a golf club. Um, but that's a big thing that, that I think we're going to see in the future is membership NFTs. Um, there's really no reason not to do that. Um, and that's perfect for, you know, your lifetime membership. Um, it's just well, yeah, those two things like, go hand in hand. The, the monkeys sound dumb, but when I think about it this way, if there's a, if it's a network of billionaires that I as a low level millionaire can buy into the connection, yep. 
and I get everybody's contact information and there's kind of a pledge that anybody that has this stupid monkey gets, you know, if I ask you a question or I ask you for an introduction, you're going to do your best as long as I don't turn out to be some sort of, you know, twat waddle, you're going to do your best to assist me. You know, I, I might go out and sell some things to buy a stupid monkey at that point. Right. Because now we're not talking about the monkey. The monkey's like having a token that makes me part of a club. And that's a, that's a different world. Yeah. And I think there is a place for letting your community support you, especially when they say, well, we want a thing. And okay, well, I'm yeah. going to sell this thing that's a picture of, you know, I, I could sell uh, you know, digital tokenized pictures of my icon Val in some creative way. And you buy them and you, if you sell them, you sell them. If you don't, you don't. I don't know what they'll be worth anything, but you guys want me to add, you know, a second server or something like that for greater redundancy or, you know, beef something up so we can have more stability in our streaming and we don't have a little tech issue here and they're like we're having today. Well, then I don't know if it'll work, but I'll spend this money on it or I'll spend a portion of this money on it. Like, and now I'm giving you something. It's not really, there's really no way for me to sell that any other way. Right. Other than to yeah. say, I, you know, I, I want you to just send me money for free. I'm actually actually able to give you something. And and I do think in communities we do build up a certain level of uh, identity. Uh, man, you know, again, back to lifetime memberships. When I put one of those on the barter blanket, I, I almost feel guilty what people will barter for. One. You know, I mean, it's it's it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing. Um, and then I think of people that are way bigger than me, like if Joe Rogan got into some of this shit, like. The, the, like that guy's, I actually don't want his influence. It scares me to think yeah. about something out and 11 million people would hear it in a day. And I, if I fuck up, I, I feel bad enough now. You fuck up with a couple hundred thousand people hearing it within a few days. Um, but man, millions of people basing their decision on your fuck up. It's kind of scary. But the other side of that is, is there's a tremendous amount that can be harnessed within communities like that. Um, I got one more, and I'm going to combine it with one that's over here on the other screen. Are there any yeah. good sources of NFT smart contract samples, or are they linked to two separate functions? And it's very similar to this question over here. Uh, where should a beginner go to learn to do smart contracts? Yeah. Um, so on the NFT smart contract samples, um, an NFT exists because of a smart contract, essentially. Like a smart contract is behind that. Um, there's different types. So on Ethereum, you have tokens, which are ERC-20 smart contracts is what they're called. Then you have non-fungible tokens, which are the NFTs, and those are ERC-721. So they're one and the same. Um, there's definitely samples out there. Um, Open Zeppelin is one of the very common uh, places people go to get an ERC-721 or NFT uh, smart contract sample. Um, and then really to start learning smart contracts, the, the best place to go, assuming you're, you're talking about Ethereum is just Ethereum's website. I think it's Ethereum.org. I'd have to validate that, but, um, they have a developer's resource page and they walk through, you know, some different tutorials on getting you started. Very, very cool. And we, we did have a couple people asking about, um, how they're valued. And I think it's, could be totally subjective. Yeah. It could also be very much evaluation like a business, like the grapevines. If I've used mm -hmm. five years or 20 years and we have now a track record of how many balls are produced, what they retail for, it's very easy to do evaluation on that. And then you still have bids, but 
I have a pretty good base value valuation. Like a, we call it like a reserve in an auction. Like I'm not taking less than this because this is the, like, like a Blackmore valuation of a business. Like there's going to be 50 cases of wine a year with a retail value of X over 15 years. That's a total value of this. You're buying it front end. It could go up. It could go down. I'll take a, maybe I'll take a discount hit on it because I want the money now, but we have some way we've come to an agreement. If I do an NFT on a membership, I'm going to set the price. Now, yeah. if it resells, the market's going to set the price. But if I put out a JPEG and I just put it out on OpenSea, the market sets the price in the beginning. So it could be any or a blend of those things, right? Yeah. Um, so I can just touch on that real quick. You know, a project will launch, and I'll just use um, two different examples. So let's say you have, like, the the Monkees, Word Ape Yacht Club. They launched in April. Um, and their mint price was like 0. 0.06 Ethereum. Um, so that's a little, probably was a little under $400 at the time. I don't know the exact uh, cost of Ethereum at that time. Um, and so, you know, as, as an end user, they launched 10,000 of them. I could go to their website and I could mint them whenever I wanted. Um, and then, over time, they just became more and more popular, and now they're valued at 95 Ethereum each. Um, that's one method. You set a set price at creation, so 0 0.06. Um, to use the Art Blocks method, which is uh, you know the company that that does these NFTs that are behind me, um, they use a Dutch auction. So you'll have a starting price. And then if no one buys at that starting price for 20 minutes, they'll drop down an another price level. And as long as there's sales or no sales, you know, the price either stays the same or it goes down. Um, so that's another method to launch. And that's the same thing. It's the market sort of finding at the time the fair value. Now, whether or not once all of the pieces mint out, does the price stay the same? That depends on the people that bought it and what they're willing to sell it for. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you being with us today. Um, I don't yeah. think you have like a site that you want to pimp or anything no. like that. You just did this kind of as a community service thing. So, again, yeah. thank you for doing that. And uh, with that, uh, folks, I appreciate your questions. If we didn't get to a question or you're listening to the audio version, uh, which most people will, uh, get them emailed to me at jack at the survival podcast.com uh, with TSPC in the subject line as always. And uh, if I can't answer them, I'll reach out to Waveheader or other community members. We'll try to get you an answer. Dude, thanks for being with us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't have a site. I would say if anyone has questions and they reach out to you or they can, I'm always on the discord, always in the telegram. Um, just want to help. So thanks for having me, Jack. Appreciate it, man. Well, great discussion, which is exactly what I expected from this, and uh, really happy to have had him on. And again, if there's enough questions, I'll see if we can do a round two uh, and, uh, and close the loop on anything that this may have opened up and not quite answered yet. But that was very informative. Okay, so hey, do you like this show? Do you like the work that I do? Do you want me to never go away? Do you want me to always be here? No matter how much they censor me, do you want me to always be somewhere and always willing to do this show because I can afford to do the show because it's what I dedicate my life to? 
then one of the best things you can do is support me. And there's a couple ways you can do that. Number one, join the Member Support Brigade. If you join the Member Support Brigade, it's 50 bucks a year. You get discounts on a bunch of stuff. Use a few of the discounts every year, and you get all or most of your money back. And a lot of people make a profit on it. And then you're supporting the show, and it's really costing you nothing out of pocket over time. We have thousands of MSB members. They're very, very happy with their service. They wouldn't stick around. I have members. I look today. I have members that have been members for more than a decade right now. That's that's pretty impressive, honestly, that we have a program that is that strong. So consider joining today. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members to Learn More, and uh, you can sign up there. Uh, next up, the other way you can help us, which is really, really, really simple and costs you no direct money out of pocket ever, not even up, up front, that is when you're going to shop online and buy stuff anyway, start out at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Go to tspaz.com, and you'll see everything that I recommend and all the reviews that I've done over time. And I own it, and I spent my money on it, and I buy again, or it doesn't get on there. Uh, we do everything here based on that level of integrity. But even if you buy something else, it doesn't matter. As long as you start there, you help support us. Our item of the day today is Barina LED Grow Lights, and... They come in two-foot and four-foot lengths, and the four-foot ones are on sale for about 10% off today, so that's great. The four-foot ones are not on sale, but they actually mark the price down, it looks like, permanently by a 10 bucks. so both sizes are available. At $59.99 for a six-pack of two-footers or $99.99 for a six-pack of four-footers, these things are a deal. Five years ago, one light like this would cost what they're selling a six-pack for. That's just because the technology has improved and economy of scale, and that is a boon to us. Why am I bringing this around today? Well, I recommend these lights for a lot of things, including long-term, ongoing growing, like so you're going to grow indoors hydroponically or whatever. I also re recommend them extremely highly for starting seeds, and it is zero hour. Within the next week or two, most of you are hitting the bubble, the window that you have to get your seed started, to have your plants well started and ready to go, to drop in the ground in spring to get your crops up and running. We're getting very close to it. I'm going to tell you right now, you can start enough seeds, if you have a garden of any size, with a six-pack of either one, depending on how many you want to start, that they will pay for themselves easily in the first year. I've been using them for three years now. Some of them have run almost consecutively, uh, continuously for three years. And I've had no failures. I've had no failures whatsoever. They all still work. They all put out highlights still. They all make plants grow wonderful st still. So the way I look at it, once they pay for themselves in that first flush of plants you produce, everything after that is gravy. And they're extremely energy efficient because they're LED technology as well. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I appreciate you guys joining me today. And hey, if, you know, you got to, if you're listening to the audio version of this, which you must be if you're hearing the end, end part here, um, then you heard the live stream happen. You want to be part of a live stream? There's a lot of ways to do it. Joining our Telegram uh, channel is a great way because I always announce them there. But now I have set up for you guys a way to find out whichever live stream is coming up next. Just go to tspclive.com at any time. And unless we've just wrapped one up and I haven't updated it yet, you'll see whichever one's coming next, what time it's going to be, what it's going to be about, and all the different streams that you can join if you want to watch it on YouTube, if you want to watch it on Odyssey, Rumble, Float, whatever. All the stream links will be there for you. I've done that to try to make it easier because, well, the live streams are just better when we have more people, including you. With that, has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. You pull yourself up 
they keep bringing you down? Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. Nobody up. 